From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Some second homeowners have decided to live in their mountain homes full time, and that's putting a burden on schools. Plus, the unique way one school is trying to keep the coronavirus at bay. Then a pandemic wedding. I would describe it as our perfect disaster. (laughs) It was, was, how do you do it? How do you get married in COVID? And later, Five Points native DJ Kavum uses hip-hop to plant seeds. Literally, his latest release comes with arugula, beet, and kale seeds. And it features tracks like Sprout That Life and Water. He encourages urban farming in food deserts, neighborhoods that lack access to fresh fruits and veggies food justice as the country grapples with racial inequality and a pandemic. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. COVID-19 has led some second homeowners in resort towns like Aspen and Vail to relocate to those communities permanently. Many come from bigger cities, Los Angeles, New York, And these folks have begun enrolling their kids in local schools. Colorado Sun reporter Jason Blevins has been looking into how this influx affects the high country. Hi, Jason. Hi, Ryan. Hasn't this always happened to some extent? You know, people decide they want the mountain lifestyle year round. They relocate from big cities. What's different now? Uh, well, it's been accelerated. Say you have, have had a vacation home and it's been sort of your place to go escape in the heat of the summer or whatnot. Right now with, you know, schools obviously in sort of disarray looking into the fall, um, folks are saying, why don't we just move here? Why don't, why don't we stay? You know, what's pulling us back home? So if you ever dreamed of moving to your mountain home, um, this, the dream has become a reality thanks to the era of Corona. And what precisely, I just want to put a finer point on this, what is it that parents are either avoiding or seeking from your conversations? You know, I I spoke with a lot of them. The the density of the city, um, the lockdowns, the future looking as though there's going to be, you know, homeschooling, um, maybe tighter quarters in urban environments. Um, So, you know, folks are thinking, why don't we just settle full time? It's a quality of life issue. And like you said, this has been going on for years and years. It's just been rapidly accelerated under this uh, this COVID timeline. Do you notice any trends among the types of people deciding to do this permanent relocation during a pandemic? Um, the ones that I spoke with were wealthy. Um, but if you, you know, in Telluride, I was talking to a bunch of different brokers there. They were saying that the top of the market and the bottom of the market is very, very busy. So these are people who were, you know, maybe they could afford a, a tiny condo somewhere too, as, as well. Um, and you know, and they were relocating just as often as you know someone who owns the sprawling, you know, sort of ski and ski out mansion that we think of when we think about second home in the ski town. Okay. So um, brokers are saying it's you know both sides of the market. But the people that I spoke with were, you know, if you're if you have a second home in Aspen, you're pretty wealthy, uh-huh. pretty well off, <laughs> right? <laughs> But it's not just the uber, uber wealthy, you're saying. What has this meant then for schools in the area? I mean, can they handle the new students given the pandemic and, of course, concerns about crowded classrooms? Yeah, there should be some concern. There is a, um, all the private schools, again, on that sort of wealthy end, all the private schools are seeing um, record interest 
and you know uh, people people signing up their waitlist lines are longer than they've ever been. Um, you know, the after country day and out of school, uh, but the public schools as well are seeing a large influx of students. Um, you know, sort of record enrollment in downtown Aspen at Aspen School District. Uh, same for Crested Butte, um, the Gunnison District. There, uh, Vale is there's there's some in pockets. There's a sense that when this all shakes out in the next couple of weeks, the number of families who might be leaving because of the economic distress caused by COVID um, might be balanced out by the number of families that are moving in. So, oh. in some communities, you're seeing, yeah, we're seeing like a, a you know, a real growth in downtown Ashland, downtown Crested Butte, um, big, big growth in enrollment, and some of the more widespread, geographically diverse resort communities like the Eagle River Valley and Bell Valley, um, there's a sense, and Grand County, there's a sense that the families who are leaving might offset the families that are coming in, and it might be sort of a break-even scenario. They are leaving because there has been a shrinking of economic opportunity, I presume, in those communities. Exactly. And it's a difficult place to live up here in the high country. Sometimes the rents are high, the mortgages are high, and if you're, you know, if you can't work for six, eight months or geez, a year, um, you know, it might be time to find more affordable, you know, place to live. Could this be a boon for these communities to have that type of wealth move yeah. in permanently? You know, that's a good question. And that's something I'm, I'm really trying to keep an eye on. So in the early 2000s, uh, the Northwest Council of Governments up here, are sort of Dr. Cog in the Northwest Colorado. They uh, they did a study that gauged the impact of second homeowners. So yeah. The second homeowner economy ranked higher than the ski economy, meaning second homeowners contributed more. But this was like 2004, and you know they really contributed more than skiing. They you know they built their homes, they went to dinner, they hired people to maintain these homes. They you know the the impact of the second home economy was greater than skiing. It's easy to see that that has continued, but it, it, it's hard to quantify specifically because um, they haven't done that study again. So if we are looking at a ski season that is not going to be normal, which is safe to say, right? Like we're, it's safe to say this ski season that we're coming into is not going to look like any other ski season we've, we've had before. Yeah. So what are these second homeowners? Can they fill part of that role? Can they help support you know, a portion of the economy that is typically supported by, uh, you know, skiing visitors, people coming for a week. If you're, you know, if the uber wealthy are moving in and they want to go to dinner and they want to, you know, work on their house, upgrade their house, renovate, do this, do that. Can they provide a pillar for the resort economy that is not there because of the lack of, uh, you know, consistent ski tourists? Um, it's a good question. It's something that, it's something to watch for sure, but it, there's, signs to indicate that second homeowner economy is just as vibrant and important as any ski or vacation or tourist economy. I understand, just for some history here, that this same phenomenon of people moving into their second mountain homes, this happened about two decades ago. What prompted it then? Uh, yeah, 9-11. Um, you know, there was, there was a big sort of, uh, you know, introspective moment following 9-11, right? So all the Folks, family, family, moms and dads that were, you know, working nose to the grindstone, and you know, these these big eruptions, these big events like this, 
you know, they, they have a cultural impact, right? They yeah. sort of make us reassess our priorities. And that's what, um, that's what happened uh, following 9-11. A lot of people said, you know, let's move to the mountains. Let's at least buy a place in the mountains so we can have more quality time. Let's, uh, you know, let's think about this. So there was a significant shift of um, people that, you know, that maybe they'd always said, we're going to retire in Dale, we're going to retire in Aspen. 9-11 happens, they say, let's do it now. Like, this is great. Let's just do it now. So, so we're seeing really, something. Ryan, it's pretty easy to understand why, right? You know, you're looking at Dallas is over a hundred degrees, Atlanta. You know, they're they're in lockdown, their schools. Wouldn't wouldn't you want to come up if you had a place in the mountains and if I had a place a, yes, you know? in the mountains, <laughs> I would understand the desire. Jason Blevins of the Colorado Sun joins us. I want to touch on another story that you wrote, Jason, about a disinfection system that the private Vail Mountain School is using. This is presumably to cut down on the spread of COVID nineteen. Could you explain just briefly what this system is? It's called the Dry Hydrogen Peroxide Biodefense System. Um, it's started by a company called Synexus. They're based out of Kansas City. Um, sort of some military roots. Uh, uh, a man, a scientist uh, who taught at, um, you know, taught in the military and served in the military. Um, once after 9-11, remember people were mailing crazy stuff to Capitol and congressman or something, yeah. um, he saw a need to kind of clean, uh, create a biodefense system, you know, something that would protect um, environments inside a building. And he created this dry hydrogen peroxide, which is not misted or aerated hydrogen peroxide. It's a chemical process that he uses um, involving UV light. And um, there's every reason to think that we're going to see these things spread across um all of Colorado school systems and public buildings, as well as uh, as well as really the nation, they've had quite a boom, super high interest. And so, Vail Mountain is, Mountain School installed 86 of these devices inside all its duct work, and it's a 24/7 air, not filtration, but disinfection system that covers every surface and covers all the air in the building, which is pretty innovative. Yeah, we've had a lot of focus on surfaces, on disinfecting them, but uh, the science that's emerging is that this is aerosolized, that the virus lingers in the air for some time. And so the idea is to address that with a system like this. Has it been very expensive for that school? Well, you know, they wouldn't say exactly how much they're spending. It's just that six figures, it's a private school, they don't have to say. But um, the town of Vail went by and saw what was going on at Bell Mountain School, and they ordered the system, and they paid $160,000 for the first round of installation, which is in a couple few buildings, and all their buses, which is going to be um, interesting. So the air filtration system on all town avail transportation buses, I think there's 35 of them, will have this system. Do you believe that it will work? I mean, what were you able to establish <laughs> about its about its effectiveness or, you know... How do you how do you make sure that you're not buying snake oil here? Uh, these guys uh, they have a very robust um, data set and science to show that it that it works and it's really complicated. Um, you know, it, it's chemist type stuff. You need to understand the bonding of molecules and the way these things work. But essentially, this dry hydrogen peroxide attaches itself to airborne virus molecules and hastens their disintegration. 
something along those lines. Um, so they break, break down faster. Jason, thanks so much for sharing your reporting with us. I appreciate it. Yeah, Ryan, thanks for having me. Jason Blevins, he's a writer for the Colorado Sun. Indeed, parents have a lot to consider as they decide whether to send their kids to school, help them learn online, or find another option. In southern Colorado, KRCC's Abigail Beckman talked with some parents about these choices. Two small desks are arranged with books and pencils near a dining room table. You want her to see your work. Oh, wow. That's great. Is that your workspace? Mm-hmm. A little girl in a blue dress proudly stands by hers, excited to show it off. Oh, wow. And three pencils? She's a kindergartner. Her mom, Jamie, will be her teacher this year. The family is making different choices for their two kids. The youngest, the little one with the pencils, will be homeschooled. An older daughter will attend an online private school. We're only using Jamie's first name to protect her privacy. For different reasons, both of my kids fall in the high-risk medical categories. Without coronavirus, we would be sending them to a public Montessori school. In addition to her two daughters, two middle schoolers who also live with the family are enrolled in Colorado Springs District 11's online option, available as a result of the pandemic. Without the virus, they would also be in a traditional school setting. So there will be a lot going on in a small space. Jamie says she's prepared, though, especially after having the kids learn from home during the early stages of the pandemic this spring. As there's been a lot of changes and uncertainty regarding what the public schools are going to do. It's been nice to just know that we have our plan and we don't have to deal with that kind of uncertainty. Another Colorado Springs mom, Mary Webster Walsh, feels the same way. She says her seven-year-old daughter Ada, a type 1 diabetic with a penchant for worrying, would likely be affected by that uncertainty. We were in the car just the other day and she just started to tear up and I said, what's wrong? And it was just out of nowhere. And she said, I really hate COVID-19. I said, why, honey? And she said, because I miss my friends and I don't want to get sick. She, she just expressed a lot of concern about getting ill. And those concerns made Webster Walsh question if her daughter would thrive at school with the masks and the hand washing and the social distancing. And to put them in an environment where you're constantly having to monitor all of that and separate them, that's got to be just so stressful to the educational environment. I I wonder just how much they're actually going to be able to learn this semester. She says her heart goes out to the teachers. Her daughter absolutely loved her school. I'm not sure I'm going to be entertaining enough. I worry that I won't be able to hold her attention, um, that she'll come to dread our lessons because I just don't have enough variety for her. That is something I am probably the most concerned about. Webster Walsh recognizes that she's privileged to be able to somewhat abruptly switch to homeschooling her daughter, as well as handle the learning of her other child who's preschool-aged. The same goes for Jamie. Both families are rearranging their lives, hoping to weave together a successful end product from a lot of occasionally ill-fitting pieces. And they're not alone in wondering what the final picture will be while trying to keep their kids safe, socially engaged, and unafraid of the virus. I think the social-emotional aspects of learning is going to be so important to launch this new year, more than 
the academics. Sylvia Nogueran Liu is an assistant professor in the School of Education at CU Boulder. She studies ways to engage families in supporting literacy at home. She says many parents have the same concerns right now, regardless of how their child will be learning this year. And so another thing I hear from parents is that, well, I'm not an expert in education, but you are an expert in your child. Nagaran Lu says measuring benchmarks and levels of proficiency will be difficult as children adapt to their new environments. And this will be true whether students are doing remote learning, homeschooling, in-person classes, or a mix of something in between, like learning pods where groups of kids learn together, but not in an actual classroom. And there's also been conversations about equity and what happens when children from certain backgrounds are not included, or if they are included, how to make sure that learning continues to be and that every parent is treated with respect and that communication is clear. And clear communication will no doubt be key as school districts continue to make adjustments and change protocols, pulling on threads and stitching together plans to try to make things work. And parents like Webster Walsh and Jamie and so many others will work alongside them, doing what they can to keep things from unraveling. I'm Abigail Beckman. The Republicans and Democrats officially pick their party's candidates for president at this month's conventions. But we want to hear from Coloradans who are undecided. Now, that could mean you're unsure whom you're voting for, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, a third-party candidate, or perhaps you're uncertain if you're voting in the presidential race. We are putting together a panel of yet-to-be-persuaded voters to hear what will drive your vote heading into Election Day. So email us, coloradomatters at cpr.org. If you're undecided, again, that's coloradomatters at cpr.org. Still to come, pandemic matrimony. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Together, we've been transitioning to a new normal, and we all have a lot of questions. Your support means you, your friends, and your neighbors will continue to have access to CPR's trustworthy coverage of today's stories. Your membership ensures that this valuable community resource for news and music remains freely available to Coloradans everywhere. There are many ways to give, including monthly, as an Evergreen member. Thank you for your support at CPR.org. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. All right, everybody, welcome. Welcome, everybody online, the 70 people or whatever we have online. Make sure you have your microphones muted. Welcome to the uh, wedding of David, Jonathan, William Hughes, and Kristen Lynn Fernandez. This is what a wedding sounds like during a pandemic. The bride, Kristen, was eager to share the experience with us. I would describe it as our perfect disaster. (laughs) It was, was, uh, how do you do it? How do you get married in covid We invited the 10 people we had been exposed to consistently the entire time. We did it in the backyard of a friend because you can't do it really a venue. The rest of the guests watched the couple say I do via video chat. Kristen, do you? I absolutely do. (laughs) William, do you? Heck yeah, I do. (laughs) You make some drinks. you, You know that anything during COVID is either going to be slower or 
more convoluted because none of us had answers going in. So we were kind of making it up as we go. And that's everybody's. I will honor you and respect you. I will laugh with you, cry with you, sing with you, and yes, argue with you. <laughs> it was on the side of this beautiful lake. Um, but, you know, you can't control the boats. We don't own the lake. So there was this boat at one point that had a sound system louder than any nightclub I've ever heard. And I was like, of course, and it's no problem. And then, of course, the Zoom call went out right at the vows, and <laughs> it came back in after the vows, and there was enough wind that it was hard to hear. So I call it perfect because we ended up married, but I call it disaster because it's such a fun story to tell. But it was our perfect little disaster, and now we're married, so all is well. But then came the time for the name change. Kristen and David decided they'd both take on a new last name, a hyphenated sign of their love, except for one thing. The Social Security Administration is taking steps to protect the public and our employees during the coronavirus or COVID-19 pandemic. Until further notice, in-person services have been temporarily suspended and we are offering service by phone and online. To change your name, you got to send in your driver's license or a valid passport. And they didn't have the latter, so they thought if we send in our driver's licenses, how will we drive? We called several different police, uh, non-emergency police lines and said, if we were to get pulled over, what is the consequence here? And they said, it's a state law. You have to have your driver's license on you at all times. So we were stuck between a rock and a hard place. We didn't know what to do. So we ended up doing it and just kind of hoping for the best. and feeling incredible guilt driving around with no license for two and a half weeks before we finally did get it back. And so it's just kind of one more, you know, getting married during COVID is, is this really what it's like? And it, it just seemed to me that that was not very well thought out. But Kristen Morgan Hughes of Broomfield is taking it all in stride. Even her curtailed honeymoon. The dream was Hawaii, but they opted instead for... One day honeymoon in Glenwood Springs, and it's been awesome. Wise men say only fools rush in. This is Kristen's youngest daughter, Morgan Fernandez, singing at the wedding. Her eldest daughter couldn't make it in person. She's attending college out of state and didn't feel safe traveling. Just another aspect of their perfect little disaster. Shall I stay? Would it be a sin if I can't help falling in love with you? Hip hop and healthy eating blend when DJ Kavum of Denver takes the stage. And things get positively electric when his wife, vegan chef Alchemia Earth, joins him. Here's a taste from a TEDx talk they did a while back. DJ Kavum, whose given name is Itef Vida, provides the beats while Earth makes dandelion lemonade. It's about changing the way we think, y'all. You got that fresh water. Everybody needs to drink more water and hydrate. Lemon, alkalize the body. Leave a little bit of that peel on for zest, right? So again, dandelion, it is not a weed. This is a superfood. 
high in calcium, high in iron. We're going to throw that right on in. And guess what? It grows like weed, as everyone says, so don't kill it. The couple has brought their eco-hip-hop act to the White House. They've been featured by Oprah Winfrey and Rachel Ray. And DJ Kavum was nominated for a Music Educator Grammy. Now they've started a nonprofit, the Vita Earth Foundation, to fight hunger and climate change through urban gardens, with a particular focus on communities of color. DJ Kavum also has a new album, Biomimics, which he says is the first ever to be USDA organic certified. Thanks to both of you for being with us. Blessings. Thank you for So here. honored to be here. Thank you for having us. How do you think the economic devastation of COVID-19 affects your mission to bring healthy food to communities of color? What, what are you seeing right now? You know, this is really a beautiful time for opportunity, honestly. And I know that it's really easy to, you know, align with the mainstream energy of what's going on right now, which is a lot of fear. And, you know, we have to understand that there's always two sides to it all. And so even fear can be channeled from a higher place or lower place. And as long as that fear is not leaving you feeling hopeless or like you can't move forward, we understand that that is just related to survival. But um, this is a beautiful time for transformation and opportunity. Transformation around food, potentially, huh? Absolutely. How so? How do you see that? I definitely see that happening with communities organizing around food sovereignty. People are saving seeds. I see people interacting with all different ways of even watching like instructional gardening videos like from one of my good friends, Ron Finley, and seeing how that's transforming other people's lives is inspiring these new victory gardens. At the same time, when we were working with plant-based records to develop the idea of dropping the first certified USDA organic hip-hop album, we didn't know that providing that with seeds would actually transform the people and actually giving them access to actually organic gardening during a time like this. Yeah, let me unpack that for folks, because you're thinking, well, wait, how can an album get that kind of certification? And that's in large part because what you're selling are seeds... With this is right. like a QR code that then allows you to download the digital album. Yeah, with growing instructions on the inside. The fact is we saw that urban communities were really in need of having access to organically grown food. At the same time, it's a good way to instill cooperative economics, really build farmers markets. We see that food has been a beautiful contribution towards building the immune system and at the same time helping with nutritional values to the mind. And Alchemia, as a health and wellness coach, we understand that people are really going towards finding ways to heal themselves with just ideas that are not just the mainstream. And this album that is Seeds uh, is an EP called Biomimics with songs like Sprout That Life, Turn It Up Like Farmers, and this tune to draw on a theme, Water. All I need now is water, water. All I need now is water. Oh, I need now is what's up. 
If someone were to buy the seeds and album now, would they still be able to plant these seeds, which I think are arugula, kale, and beet? Do I have that right? Yes, arugula, kale, and beet. And so the answer is yes. Of course, it depends on, you know, what your growing conditions are, where you're at. But generally speaking, um, especially with the arugula and kale, you can even sprout those indoors. So, um, you know, if you're not somewhere where you have anywhere to grow outdoors, there's always that indoor option. Yeah, it's a really great opportunity. We've even had the beautiful conversation to work with some really great food fighters who are directly out of Minneapolis where they've been able to find urban farmers who are actually taking the food that was given to them through the seeds, right? Harvesting that and actually supplying urban markets and co-ops in Minneapolis directly after the civil unrest. So seeing how directing that impact with food and also food security where people are really struggling to find where they can actually access healthy supply you know, of local traceable source food. Because we're talking about neighborhoods that are often food deserts, or I've sometimes heard them called food swamps. Mm. It's not that they don't have food, but that the food just isn't high quality. Mm. You're talking about shelf-stable stuff. So you two recently started Vida Earth Foundation, which for starters is raising money to provide seeds to urban farms across the country. What would that look like, a transformation in, let's say, Denver, in your own backyard, Alcmea? Well, this is really a journey about also reconnecting with nature as a human species. I think that we have lost just not only, you know, touch with our food and, you know, our ecosystem, our environment, but especially in these urban communities, right? But we just, in general, we need to reconnect. And this is kind of where the garden comes in. And this is even in these times now where we're being forced to I read a meme and it was like, you know, Mother Nature had sent us to our rooms, you know, to think about (laughs) what we've done. And um, it's just been a time to really go within. And it's also time to reconnect where we can with nature, because really, those are the only places that I go that I feel safe and nurtured. Now, is this possible if I'm in a rental? Is this possible if I look around and I mostly see asphalt and sidewalk? Yeah, you know, let me let me speak to that because nature is not something that is separate from us. It's not something technically we have to go to. And often when we think about reconnecting with nature, we think about driving, you know, to the mountains or to a river, which that is one way to do it. But because we are nature, this is really just reconnecting with that part of ourselves that is in alignment with that. So this is why we love plants around us. If we're in an apartment or in a home, we're bringing in these elements of nature, stones, right, natural materials, um, granite countertops. This is actually our way naturally, subconsciously, of how we reconnect to our environment, our natural environment. Does it take a lot of money to get started doing this? So I have the seeds. Do I have the time, the resources to, to make them sprout. You know, it's definitely important to start thinking about urban farming as a way to develop economic income. People want to grow. People want to eat. And at the same time, it's not that expensive. You know, to just buy a pack of seeds, you can actually definitely reap more than what you sow. You know, being able to actually transform that is really about, like, thinking about our health. Biomimics was recorded with some really good friends who understood the fact that we also needed to transform during the recording session. The studio engineer went plant-based during the time. The producer was eating vegetarian at the time. We definitely understood that it's deeper than just, like, making an album to just play like we're not really trying to transform our own lives. We actually took 
the the album listening party and did this at the San Francisco Giants Stadium where they had a dugout garden. We had two groups come in for two different days. I had high school students come in on one day. I had elementary students come in on a second. Chef Brian Terry came through. We prepared locally grown food that was harvested right there on the dugout, played the music, and saw the experience work in urban communities. If they dance, if they can actually get live to a song called Sprout That Life or a song called Keeper 100, all about planting gardens and thinking about how we can transform schools, we're basically meeting you know, the whole criteria of how we can utilize hip-hop for social change. Let's listen to Sprout That Life since you brought it up. I, I got so much cease, I got no more land. Pull up on your block in that veggie van. Keep my broccoli local like I always did. This that eco hip hop healthy for them care. Yeah. Yeah, my veggie so fresh. Spit uh, so fresh. Uh, garden so clean. Uh, grown with the best. Uh, rose in my hood. Uh, throwing up the X. Dirt stay wet. Flex, flex, flex. Got a pocket full of seeds. What's next? Farmers markets always going ahead of fresh. Look at, look at the way that they eat. Look at the way that they eat. You ain't finished your play. Why are you falling asleep? Never too late. Be who you needed to be. Meet me out in the wood, ready to plant another tree. Homie, I'm good. Big green growing, big green. Spot that life. Big green growing, big green. Spot that life. Alchemy, we heard Etef talk about the connections you've made with kids. I guess what you're uh, really hoping for is a lifelong change. Mm-hmm. And I guess skills that last a lifetime. Is that what I hear? Yeah, absolutely. I think that as humans, it's our, in our nature to want to grow, learn, and expand. And um, because that's how life is, creation itself has has that within it. So um, when we learn something, you know, it's, it's, it's a dialogue that's passed down. You need to friends, family. If you have children, it's passed down to another generation. Um, and then also that children learn by, by mimicry. So if we place ourselves and make that change within ourselves and include, you know, that next generation and us or our communities, this is that leading by light example. Ah, it's interesting you say mimicry, given the title of the album, Biomimics. Right. Yeah. Do you think that there is an association with organic and farmers markets and food as medicine with wealth and whiteness? Mm. I believe that we have through media and through the systematic approach to um, how they like to control how we think and see things overall, that yes, there is a connection in terms of what most of us, when we hear certain words, we will draw an image that's related to that because that's just how our minds work. So prior to what I know or my, what my beliefs were, when I heard certain words, I did connect it to white culture. And that's just because for me, that's what I was exposed to. And those were the images stories, you. Right, exactly. Mm. But as my husband always points out, you know, if we return to the roots of where all that stemmed from, even, you know, the way natives um, and indigenous lived and the way Africans lived and, you know, all of these different cultures that were connected to land understood that we are not separate from it and that there is this, like my husband says, there's no place called away when we're throwing our trash. You know what I mean? So um, everything is returned to us in some way, shape or form. Right. We use the phrase throw away. You're saying there's no place called away. It's all here. It's all 
Earth. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> you know. You talked about the roots of African Americans and indigenous people to the land. I also think that fields, agriculture has been used as oppression. I mean, I think of slavery. I think of sharecropping later on. I think of the abuse of immigrant labor. Is this also a reclaiming Mm. of a connection to the land? Mm -hmm. Am I speaking out of turn there, Alchemia? No, I, I, that just, it, it just definitely resonates. There's two polarities to everything. So we have a side of it that is oppressive, that's, you know, rooted in slavery. And of course, that DNA, that cellular memory of that, of, you know, what we were put through to help build these crops and to help nourish others. We were not being nourished by the things that we were growing. We were not reaping the benefits from the seeds we were planting. Um, And so reclaiming that means that, yes, like it's not something that we want to continue to turn away from because it's representative of pain in our in our cultural history. But it is something that we can reclaim and empower ourselves with to feed our communities, to bring communities together, to take control over the quality of our food. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, What stood out to me there is that you said for so long people of color had been raising food, but it wasn't to feed themselves. It wasn't for their own nutrition and growth. Right. The law similar to how, you know, we had wet nurses in white homes that were there to breastfeed the babies of the white women they worked with. And we were actually feeding our children, you know, cow's milk because we didn't have enough supply to feed both. So, again, um, it's just reclaiming that power, not only just with reconnecting with the land, but with the power that we hold as people individually and collectively. We are talking about urban farming and food justice with Denver chef and educator Alchemia Earth and her husband, the hip-hop artist and chef as well, Itef Vida, also known as DJ Kavim. After a break, how they came to see food as a way of healing themselves and their communities. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. With a new school year approaching, more than 500 teachers, staff, students, and parents across the state have told CPR News how they're feeling about schools reopening in a pandemic. It's a complicated conversation. I do not want to go back to school. But as a single parent, do I really have an option? So eager to get back into the classroom. At the same time, I'm scared to death. Follow the conversation on Twitter at CPR News and keep listening as we tell the story here on the radio and at CPR.org. Turn it up like farmers. Turn it up like farmers. Turn it up like farmers. Turn it up. I'm going to have a good day. Turn it up like farmers. Turn it up like farmers. You're back with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner, and you are hearing eco hip hop a term coined by my guest Etef Vida, a.k.a. DJ Kavim. This track, Turn It Up Like Farmers, is from his new album, Biomimics. It's sold as a packet of seeds. Vida is with us, along with his wife, chef, and food educator, Alchemia Earth. The two have founded a nonprofit, the Vida Earth Foundation, to promote food justice and urban farming. You do this at schools quite a bit. And I think you bring a blender. <laughs> Is that yeah. true? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I think about the idea of like going into places to redefine the image of wealth 
through wellness, through being available and utilizing art for social change is really inspiring to not only young people, but also to adults. So we take our time to educate educators, creating intergenerational dialogue, providing workshops like Recipes for Resistance, which is a culinary climate action workshop showing how to utilize traceable source food to talk about food is medicine, at the same time how to propagate and how to save seed, Mm -hmm. but really organizing around people wanting to have a beautiful way to create cooperative economics, you know, to really be a part of this new beautiful green economy. And having a green job shouldn't look like just going to the golf to clean up oil or just recycling or maybe taking precious metals out of the mountains to be able to make electronics so that we can do things that will keep us sustaining, but really creating a green job that will actually give access to someone who even might be a felon for maybe inciting a riot or protesting or just being active now and they're trying to figure out a way to change their life. And so you can actually be an urban farmer and still be able to change your life and connect with the communities that some people maybe even had a hard time with. I just want to ask though about the viability of that as an immediate career path. I mean, mm. here, here we have people hurting in mm. the pandemic. How quickly can you just go to urban farming and start to make a living and pay the rents? You know, it takes time, but it's really about not just saving seeds, my man. You know, there's so much soil to flip in our front yards and people are not only using aeroponics. I've seen people using anything from tower gardens to really turn their own transformation. Now, eating for pennies on a dollar, using the produce section, you can not only stay out of the the issues of the pharmaceutical things that's happening to a lot of people. You don't have to deal with those same situations of going in and out of the hospital, but really supporting the markets at the same time. It's the same way that we actually are investing in our health. And that is how we save money. That's how you grow money. I come from a family of sharecroppers. You know, I definitely know what it's like. My grandfather was a part of the Great Migration. I understand what it feels like to have that cellular memory. It wasn't about, you know, me separating from this internalized oppression. It was really about just, oh, yeah, that's the soil. Oh, yeah, let's flip that. And now let's talk about how we can utilize it for our health. So, Itef, you shared a little bit about your own family's background. I'm curious, Alchemia, how you came to see food as medicine. When did that awareness come into your life? When I needed to heal my body. (laughs) So I was diagnosed at 12 with uh, low blood sugar and anemia. And I was an athlete. And so I just experienced, you know, just not that great of health while training. Um, And then that definitely increased as I got older, gave birth to five children, almost had to have a blood transfusion on my last natural birth because I my iron levels were so low. So I was looking for a way to heal my body. My daughters, two of them were born with eczema that runs in my family. So I was just on a healing journey. And, you know, I studied and learned, studied and learned, used myself as my own guinea pig and, you know, my children and healed myself. And how's their eczema? It's it's good. So, yeah, they we've been able to manage it. I want to thank you both for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Do you want to pick, why don't we pick one more track to leave on? Alchemy, do you want to, we'll make this your choice. Oh, all right. Yeah, we should play Break Ground. Love that one. Tell me about it. So Break Ground is exactly what it sounds like. This is about you getting in that soil, breaking through that ground, um, preparing it for what you want to plant. I just want to break ground. Watch this world turn around. Right away.
Homie, you should compost. Especially you. Look at the food in the trash, though. Look at those bins. Look at those bins. Homie, you can build those. For real, though. Really, you should compost. This, that waste of version. Recycle, reduce, reuse. Break Rounds by DJ Kavum, also known as Etef Vida. He and his wife, Alchemia Earth, are raising money to provide 22,000 seed packets to communities in need. Vida's new record is called Biomimics. They have just started together the Vida Earth Foundation in Denver. Sticking with music, there may be a deadhead in your life. They are everywhere, even though the Grateful Dead's leader, Jerry Garcia, is no longer alive. In fact, Sunday marked 25 years since Garcia's death. Well, CPR's resident deadhead, Vic Vela, explains why the music lives on. Every Grateful Dead fan will tell you about their first show, their most cherished bootleg, and their favorite version of Dark Star, even if you weren't asking. Because being a deadhead is all about the music that brings joy for millions. But every fan also remembers the worst day in Grateful Dead history, August 9, 1995. Jerry Garcia, the Grateful Dead guitarist who kept the counterculture of the 1960s rocking and rolling right into the 90s, died today in California. He was 53. Garcia was at a rehab center trying to kick a longtime heroin addiction, but his body just wasn't up to it. That night, Grateful Dead founding member Bob Weir performed with his side band Rat Dog in New Hampshire. You could hear the emotion in his voice. We are on our own. probably didn't do a proper job of grieving because what I did was I came back, I attended uh, memorial services and all that kind of stuff and then went straight back out on the road and stayed there. Garcia's death left a void in the hearts of deadheads. Like I told you what I said Steal your face right off your But 25 years after Jerry's death, the Grateful Dead's music lives on. Remarkably so. And younger musicians are tapping into Garcia's songbook. In the timbers of the walls are running around. Billy Strings is a bluegrass phenom who wasn't even three years old when Garcia died. He admits it took him a little while to get used to the Dead's signature of improvisation and long instrumental jams. At first I was like, man, it sounds like five people playing five different songs, you know? Like, why don't they just play a song? (laughs) Now Strings often covers the dead at his shows. He says he loves that the dead never tried to be perfect. They only had one top ten single in their career, and their studio albums weren't received all that well either. Strings says that's what makes the band so endearing. It's real music, it's honest, it's authentic, and it's like... The rough edges are okay. In fact, those are human characteristics. Garcia and the Dead's music continues to be celebrated by bands like Bob Weir's Dead & Company and Joe Russo's Almost Dead. And you could argue Jerry Garcia's music is more accessible now than it ever was before. 
You see, back in the day, deadheads had to travel the country and swap cassette bootlegs of dead shows to hear the band's music. Now, every show is available online at their fingertips. David Lemieux handles the Grateful Dead's archives. And I've had a few people kind of question. I was like, well, you know, I'm only 21 and I never saw the dead. I go to lots of dead and company shows. I buy the Dave's picks. You know, am I like really a deadhead? I said, of course you are. There's so much room on this bus. These days, Jerry Garcia's and the dead's music remains a staple at live events. Billy Strings. If you go to a festival, any campground you walk through, you're going to hear some dude on the guitar playing Friend of the Devil. You know what I mean? You're just going to hear it. And I, I love that. Nowadays, Bob Weir says he doesn't really miss Garcia because Jerry never left him. He's kind of live and kicking in my heart. We grew up together, and uh, we became part of each other. Just because uh, his physical body is, uh, is gone doesn't mean that the part of me that he's part of. I mean, that didn't die with him, with his physical body. And that love for and legacy of Jerry Garcia will not fade away. I'm Vic Vela, CPR News. My first public radio station, KOPN in Columbia, Missouri, had a weekly Grateful Dead Hour. That was my first exposure to their music. Nice to hear Vic Vela keeping it alive. I'm Ryan Warner. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. 